0: Welcome everybody to Who's Your Band. I am Jeffrey Paul.
1: I'm with Sean Morton today. How are you, Sean? Losing my mind, Jeffrey. Why? Why losing my why? You know how uh, in uh, The Shining, Jack Nicholson kind of like lost his mind after a while because of the of the of the house and everything. Um, the hotel. I have a cricket. I have a cricket <laughs> or a spider somewhere in my basement, and the fucking thing is not dead it's been alive for like seven days it has no food source i don't know how this thing is going i can't find it anywhere i have no idea but it's 24 7 and I'm i think i'm losing my mind i think he's doing it out of spite it could be like a spite store like larry david
0: right it's it's, it's a spite store. i I've, I've opened up a spite store once i did it was a record store a my, it, i did i i put myself through college by opening up a record store but i opened it at a spite because i used to work at a record store and i didn't get the hours that i wanted and i was like you know what i can do it just as good as this guy so i opened up a record store at a spite
1: only person more petty than you is tom
0: that's a tom.
1: joke <laughs> okay listen Enough of this
0: ridiculous preamble, because I really want to get into this interview. And I had the opportunity to jump in on an interview on uh, 101.5 FM, uh, the show they do on Wednesday with Steve Trevelisse. And uh, he calls me up uh, earlier in the week. He's like, hey, look, man, we're going to get Elliot Lewis on. Uh, Come in a little early. Uh, I'd love for you to talk to him. And I was like, you don't have to say more. I'm there. And you know, we only had him on the air for about maybe six to eight minutes, and there was so much more I wanted to uh, talk about. So it is my pleasure to introduce from the average white band, from Hall of Notes, from his own solo career. Okay. Um, I don't even know where to begin with when we talk about music and, and instruments, but it's my pleasure to introduce Elliot Lewis to the show. How are you, Elliot? I'm
2: doing great, man. Great to be uh, talking to you guys tonight. Thanks for having me on
0: it's our pleasure so um yeah who got you involved in music oh well uh go back to when you were a kid
2: yeah no it must be you know exposure from my mom really because uh that's about as far back as it goes for me she was a, a classical pianist so um you know from the time i could remember i was hearing her play classical music and then really the specific um start of it really was to do more with my brothers to you know uh, typical scenario I had two older brothers that were both music lovers one was a guitar player and uh so they were
0: older or younger
2: both older I'm the youngest of three so between my mom playing classical music and the two of them playing you know nonstop for my oldest brother who was the guitar player he was really inspired by the British invasion so Jeff Beck the stones the who uh, but all the blue stuff too you know buddy guy
0: and um but so when your brothers had an album yeah what, what would you gravitate to or what would they say hey uh, uh Elliot you gotta listen to this what, what was it what was the early music
2: yeah it was it was all that I mean it was a little bit too young to get the full effect of the Beatles um but I certainly heard a lot of Beatles growing up through them but it was really the who it was the stones um Zeppelin, uh, but the stuff I gravitated to, I'll never forget. I would always walk into one of my brother's bedrooms and there'd be something playing and I'd be like, "What is this? And I picked up a record and I was like to my middle brother was like, "What is this? This looks really cool and really unusual. And it was David Bowie, a uh, man who sold the world. Oh and I God. put that on and I was like fascinated. that was like, Oh, this is something I really like. Is because the the lyrics were sort of like otherworldly. It was almost like science fiction music, <laughs> you know.
0: Wait, so you wait, when you walk into the room? Was it the album that you saw?
2: Yeah, it was the album I saw.
0: See, that's yeah. something that this generation will never get. Like you know, yeah. m- like remember, like you would go to a record store. I know you're are you, you're a Pennsylvania guy. Uh, Connecticut. Okay. So, you yes. know, same like with Sean and I, you know, we're, we're from this area as well. So remember yeah. you would going to a record store, maybe you didn't know a music, but you would be looking yeah. through the records and you would see like what Maiden's eye, uh, you know, cover look like or yeah. something. Right. Uh, this generation will never get that. That's what attracted you to Bowie
2: exactly i mean that was the initial thing the spark that that got me to want to listen to it was was the presentation of the album and um and that happened a bunch i mean it, so the next thing that i really kind of latched on to was alice cooper um so we're going back, back really really far this is like oh, okay. he was a real visual I was, artist i was about nine years old or whatever and um and so I was like, what is this? This is so different, you know. And then to find out the kind of theatrics he did, I really gravitated to artists back then anyway, that were very theatrical and very visual with their presentation. I, I always, that really intrigued me. I always thought there's more, you know, of course the music is at the heart of it, but what they're trying to do visually was always very exciting to me. Was
0: kissing so, in there for you?
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> I, Kiss goes so far back in my life that I heard, so long story short, I grew up, uh, when I started music, I was a drummer. And my best friend that I met in elementary school had started bass. We started about the same time, but he was about a year older than me. His father was um, heavily in the music business. He was back then working with a band called Mountain,
0: Leslie West. Oh my god. And who was the other guy? Felix Paparotti was in that band yeah, too. Felix Paparotti. Yeah. Right. They, they were they were big contributors to the Who? The Who's Absolutely. Net, right?
2: uh, what, what was, Absolutely.
1: So one of my house. first yeah, yeah,
2: one of my first concerts was West Bruce and Lang, which was Leslie West, Jack Bruce of Cream, and Corky Lang. Insane. <laughs> so Insane. so he so my friend's father was basically was an A and R guy. Now, this is back, you know, early '70s when I first met them, and uh, so he would typically bring home uh, music for us to listen to because, you know, I mean, he was probably only in his 30s, but we were like, I was probably 10, and my friend Kevin was probably 11 and a half or something. So he always wanted to get our opinion as kids what we thought of this music that they're considering maybe signing. And one of the tapes he brought home was Kiss. <laughs> I heard I heard and saw their first demo tape, you know, their press kit, and uh, uh, it was called an acetate. So it was like a it was like a record that you could only play like a dozen times before it wore out, you know. Um, but he had that, and I, I heard the original demo tape, and I was, and he would ask us like, "What do you think of this?" And I thought, "Well, oh, you know, it's it sounds like heavy Rolling Stones to me." And I thought, "Well, the makeup is pretty crazy. I don't know if I can get into that, but I was sort of attracted to it." And then of course i was you know soaking up all the music magazines of that day
0: Parade, cream
2: Parade, yeah. cream i mean i would walk a mile and a half every day to a store to find a new magazine and uh you know before i knew it they had been signed his company passed on them now my friend rich his father, rich my kevin's friend, friend uh, kevin's father he thought there was something to kiss and he kind of wanted to sign them, but the company he was with, I think it was called windfall music. They passed on them, but before I knew it, they were in every music magazine that you could find. And they just, you know, they, they just took off. So, and I saw them, I fell in love with them, you know, not so much musically, just, just because of what they were able to accomplish and how different and unique they were and how sort of new it was, you know, what was on that first uh, demo that you heard? that was strutter and deuce and cold gin uh, cold gin exactly
0: yeah strutter and deuce are just two killer tracks i I think there's something to be said about like the new york bands and just how gritty new york uh you know you know between comedy and actors and and music i kind of equate the way twisted sister and kiss got started they're both theatrical you know they both you know listen when you talk music and you're, you're you're the consummate musician you know they're not, they're not the best musically you no. know it's not the best singer you don't have the best drummer you don't have the best guitars but there's something there and I think sometimes they got and I worked in in A&R and mm-hmm. I just sometimes think that um music critics and just suits and music get a mm-hmm. little bit uh snobbish but yeah. you know but sister and kiss they would sell out these big venues and no one wanted to sign them to the point where you're like you have to we have to take a chance because you know they exactly
2: yeah because the word of mouth was so strong like they weren't necessarily selling records at the beginning but their shows would be packed because everybody was talking about them i saw twisted sister many times because they would play locally at these places called the Four and aft in Connecticut and you know uh lower Long Island and stuff so uh so that yeah, even even the Ramones you know like you were saying these bands weren't good musicians but they believed so strongly in what they were doing it was sort of undeniable these guys just were a force to be reckoned with so exactly. it was it was a, it was a great time
0: so you play multiple instruments. You say you started out as a drummer. Uh, yeah. I know you, I think, as a keyboardist, you know, from, yeah. from, from, from watching Daryl Stuss, and we'll get to that. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw you. I think you played guitar with the average white band. We'll get to that, too. Okay. Yeah. And, and there's a lot I want to go in with that. But how do you have time and how do you practice all these instruments? I mean, Sean plays guitar. And he's been practicing for 20 years and he still stinks. OK, I play <laughs> drums. I, I'm terrible. How do you get proficient on these? How where do you find the time to practice?
2: Oh, God, you know, I don't know if I spend that much time practicing. It's sort of more doing. And what I mean by that is. You know, I, in in the beginning, as a drummer, I didn't really practice. Me and my friend Kevin, we just jammed every day. We were just playing, so it wasn't really. Did you
0: take lessons? I mean, how, how do you just not? I playing?
2: never took lessons. I'm a completely ear player. It's amazing. Um, I think the exposure really to classical music really did uh, wonders for um, how my ear perceives music and harmony and, and notes and melody.
0: So, how do you pick up a guitar, not knowing where to put your fingers, but yet figure it out? How did you do that?
2: Well, when I transitioned to guitar, so I played drums from the time I was about ten to about sixteen, and at that point, or fifteen, or something like that. Uh, and I, I, I really wanted to have the experience of being a songwriter and contributing to the song, because I figured out early in my life that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. And everything revolved around the song, the, the music. So I wanted to be a contributor to the song. So I transitioned to guitar, but I had a little bit of a head start because my, like I said, my older brother was a great guitar player. He modeled himself after Jeff Beck. So I heard a lot of Jeff Beck growing up. He's still my favorite guitar player, and so I had a little bit of a head start just being around him. He may have shown me a couple of chords, but really that was it. It was just really being around him and watching him and listening to him, and you know it just all gets absorbed. So um, that was my first transition from drums to guitar, and uh, and then you know of course like in 1978 Van Halen. Uh, came on the scene and you know you're like okay what am I going to do now (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to play like that so I dabbled in a few things and one of the things was bass Um, and a cool situation arose where well before that as a guitar player I had a couple of bands and all these bands didn't really accumulate too much like most kids when they're playing they're growing up they're trying to figure out what to do and how to do it um but I had this opportunity with these two guys that came from the Midwest I think they were in Chicago and they played with two of the original Alice Cooper members they played with uh Neil Smith and Dennis Dunaway of the original Alice Cooper oh my band. God that,
0: that, wasn't Dennis Dunaway just back in the band
2: what's that yeah yeah he, well he's in the original they these two were in the original Alice Cooper band yeah, yeah so but... Alice Cooper went solo in like 1975 or something like that uh, Neil Smith and Dennis Dunaway started a band with these two guys, uh, Paul Roy and David Stackman. And I know Paul Roy isn't with us anymore, uh, but somehow this situation arose and they found out about me probably through my brother and um, they needed a bass player to, to form this and finish this band. So I transitioned from guitar to bass. And, How old uh, are you? I was about 18 at this point. And happily I did because I was a huge Cheap Trick fan, massive Cheap Trick fan, still am. And uh, I was so intrigued by, if you know Cheap Trick at all, the bass player, Tom Peterson, played a, a very unique instrument, a 12 string bass. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and bought a Hamer eight string bass that was almost modeled after his bass. So I joined this band and had fun and was a bass player for a couple of years. And I was still singing a lot and um, you know we toured up and down the east coast and opened up for like a flock of seagulls and the motels and a couple other cool shows and then you know then we got into the the early 80s and the technology just started exploding right Synthesizers, synthesizing right and so then I that was my cue to go into the keyboard world and uh you know so so it wasn't like I just practiced this one instrument for years I sort of like, I think my goal early on was to become a self-sufficient songwriter. And if I could learn all these instruments, I could really contribute to to creating songs the right way. So I think that was really my goal. And, and artists, you know, I'll go back even further. Artists like um, Todd Rundgren were hugely uh, inspiring to me. And Stevie Wonder, my brother would tell me, so early on in my life like you know these guys played all the instruments on the records and i was like how do you do that (laughs) how do you do that at the same time and he would explain to me the concept of multi-tracking and stuff but it really stuck with me and i just thought that was so cool to be able to play all the instruments yourself so i think that's really the first you know spark for me to become a multi-instrumentalist and learn these instruments
0: that's amazing. Um, speaking, of, I'm I'm on board with you with cheap trick, and you you you'll relate to this. I never told Sean this story, right? So I'm in high school, and I was supposed to go to this party with this girl. This girl is dating my friend yeah. Rob Maletta, who I was in a band with. At the last minute, he calls me up. He's like, "Hey, look, we got tickets for cheap trick at the Palladium." Okay? Oh yeah. You, 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 I'm like, I'm in. I'm going. I don't, yeah. even, I don't show up at the party and I don't think anything of it. That was before cell phones or anything. Monday, yeah. we go back to school and the girl is pissed at me. You didn't come to the party. <laughs> Why didn't you go to the party? And I was like, I went to see Cheap Trick. Do you and remember the year? Uh, it had to be like 79 or 80. Okay, okay. Right? yeah. And, yeah. She, and she's like, so? I'm like, do you understand <laughs> what I just said to you? I went <laughs> to see Cheap Trick. You don't Trick. get it. Right, it's it's like I'm going to see Cheap Trick. I'm going to say, "Yeah, this is the Dream Police." I'm going to see. Okay, I'm going to. She broke up with me, and (laughs) but I don't regret the decision because I I got to see Cheap Trick at their height. I mean, I I try to see them every time they come around. I love love Cheap Trick. You were talking. Her name was
1: Meryl Streep, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Elliot is is uh, was talking about songwriters and early in your career. Uh, we yeah. talked a little bit, little bit about this on the air uh, the other night. Uh, you got to work with Dan Hartman uh, from uh, West Hanover, Pennsylvania, Sean. And the reason why I bring that up is that's not too far from the club that I have uh, okay. up in Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you don't know who Dan Hartman is, you know, he was with Edgar Winter Band, wrote Freeride, and wrote my probably my favorite song of the 80s, I Can Dream About You. Um, how did you get to work with him? what kind of influence did he have on you? Because the two of you were, are almost parallel where he's also a multi-instrumentalist uh, and the 80s for him really changed his sound. Because if you also remember, I don't know if it was a record company or if he did it himself, but Relight Your Fire was something that was kind of uh, mm-hmm. you know very, very different than what his real uh, music was about.
2: Yeah. Well, I met him. Uh, it, the introduction was definitely done through one of my brothers. So the... The middle brother, um, in the early '80s, he uh, started working for a booking agency, and that later will will work into my average white band connection. But he knew Dan, and I had been really, um, you know, had been playing keyboards and programming and really working on my song catalog. I think about
0: this mid 80s, like 85, mid 80s.
2: Yeah, I think by that time, I probably met Dan around 87. So I might have just signed my first publishing deal, which was with Sony. So now in the 80s, I had been working on my songwriting craft, I wasn't playing live so much, because I almost gave up on playing live and being in a band. I just knew selling songs to artists. So basically, I created a catalog of songs in order to get a publishing deal. Gotcha. So I, I got a publishing deal, and they would take my songs, and they would shop them to artists. Gotcha. And, you know, for instance, like, after three weeks of being signed with them, Madonna put a hold on one of my songs. She didn't cut it, but she basically took it off the the market and said, "I'm considering the song to to record." So, um, so that that's what would happen. But uh, right at that time, my brother introduced me to Dan, and uh, it, being that Dan is is like in the next town, he's in 15 minutes away. Um, so, he played him my demo, I guess, and and Dan said, "Well, I, maybe I can use him. He sounds really good at programming and drum machines and keyboard." And so and I think because I was close, he took a chance on me. And I didn't really have any kind of track record then other than maybe just being signed to, a, to Sony. Um, but I hadn't done any kind of high level professional work at that point. So he, he took me under his wing and, and he put me on uh, Joe Cocker song. Um, uh, the Tina Turner song, Simply the Best um I was there for I didn't play on it but I was there when he was recording producing James Brown living in America and then I did a Nona Hendrix, uh Nona from LaBelle the, the, yeah yeah so uh but I did the Unchain My Heart single for Joe Cocker and I played on simply the best so basically, he just he used me for a bunch of these sessions, and we just headed off. Now he was way way ahead of me in his career. I was really just starting out, and this guy had already hit records. You know, I can dream about you already was out, and of course he did all the, the Edgar Winter stuff. So he was way ahead of me. Uh, but he, you know, we bonded, and he, he we just we liked each other, and he took me out to dinner, and we would just hang and talk music, and he kind of just let me look over his shoulder and really absorb what he was doing so it was an amazing experience
0: was he the most influential person for you in music you know getting he, started or in your career
2: yeah because he he was I would say he was one of the most I would say uh, the next stage of my career was working with the Average White Band and working with Alan Gorey the original bass player uh that that started off that whole thing was also very influential to me um but they all contributed you know they all contributed to what became my my journey for sure by the way we,
0: look at what we've already spoke about in the in 20 minutes and we're just <laughs> scraping the iceberg with this guy in his career because <laughs> you spend the next 13 years in the yeah. average white band and you got to work with one of my favorites you got to work with uh Hamish Stewart and who I got to work with a little bit with uh, on the Paul McCartney tour, uh, "Flowers Hello. on on the Dirt." I think that was eighty nine, eighty nine, okay. maybe ninety. You know, yeah. McCartney had a comeback album. He did a he did a a comeback tour. I got to work on that uh, a little bit. I was there when he did his press conference and did the um, he he did like a press conference and like did a secret show at one of mm-hmm. the Broadway theaters. I was in on that one, and I mean, like Hamish was like he was a guy like you bass player guitar player you know he would flip around i never worked with hamish so i didn't
2: no i didn't i took his place (laughs) so what happened was that also an introduction with my brother because he was in this booking agency he was booking the average white band in the early 80s but by like 1985 84 85 average white band kind of broke up they disbanded and I think there was some maybe tension between Hamish and Alan. Something, whatever it was, you know, they weren't working together at this point. So Alan went into um, his own solo career and he had a publishing dear, deal and he had his own solo career. And then Alan and I came together also around probably 87. Uh, and we just became songwriting partners. Again, he was only 15 minutes away from where I lived in, in Norwalk, Connecticut and uh we hit it off now he of course he's about 15 or 16 17 years older than me so he's a way ahead of me in my career but again i'm working with this really accomplished professional songwriter who's had this whole career and um he he really inspired me what a great singer and great songwriter And we wrote songs every week you know in part because we like writing together but we were also had uh a quota to fill with our publishing deal you have to write x amount of songs to turn in every year and so the relationship grew and um and at some point like around 88 89 going into yeah it was probably 88 they decided to put the average white band back together again and um and I had no expectations or thoughts about joining the band I I just wrote songs for their comeback record so uh i take a vacation i'm out on the west coast with my brother and sister-in-law and uh, i get a message from alan and he said they're out in seattle now putting this new record together and he invited me to seattle to be a part of the production you know basically co-producing the songs that i wrote for the record so i get back home then go back out to seattle and start working with them and what happened was uh somewhere we were out in seattle for about two months working on this record and they said you know there's a club here in town let's go play this club really not make a big deal out of it just to test out some new material for the record so we did and then i think we did another one and maybe a third one and before i knew it i was just in the band (laughs) you know all of a sudden okay they've got new management they've got a booking agent and i'm just a member of this band by default and so basically i ended up taking hamish's uh place so Hamish wasn't involved with this. It was it was Alan Gorey, it was Roger Ball, um, Aunty McIntyre, and um, Molly Duncan, the so other horn.
0: You were you on um, you? They that second incarnation yeah. of Average White Band. They did have a couple of hits, and wasn't didn't you sing on? Um, uh, my school girl, my school crush is that what the song was school boy crush no school Boy crush that's
2: yeah no that's the first version of average white man oh okay so cut the cake and pick up the pieces schoolboy crush a love of your own that was all first original version so when i joined the band they the the album that came out was called aftershock and uh one of them
0: walk on by on it
2: no they did that was the original oh, okay that's the original lineup that was hamish yeah and so for whatever reason you know I I I I could play a little bass and I could sing but I never saw myself as that kind of a lead singer but somehow I fell into the role of being Hamish's role I, I had a high falsetto and you know I was I was elected to do those parts and so uh I did and it was an incredible experience like again I never thought I would I would be a half of a lead singer in a band like that but that's the way it worked out. And, and because I played a little keys I played a little bass. it was a great role for me, and I contributed a lot to the songwriting and the first one of the first singles they had was called the spirit of love that Alan and I had co wrote and. Um, uh we got Chaka Khan to sing on it and uh that was very cool so that was released and I think it made it into the top 40 on the r b charts back then
0: in the in the live performances did you sing those songs did you yes yeah. okay you did okay
2: yeah basically anything that Hamish
0: that uh, it was you.
2: I ended up singing yeah
0: you yeah. are you you are uh, who is it Jason Schiff Yeah, Jason Schiff taking over. He's he's a great singer. I love Jason Schiff. You kidding me? I got him. I got his autograph back here somewhere. Nice. Nice. Uh, So after Average White Band, you get a phone call from Daryl Hall. And what's going through your head? Like, did you know he was going to call you?
2: No, no, no. So, so what happened was, you know, the introduction to Hall and Oates really was because Daryl and uh alan gory go way back alan gory being the bass player of the average white band right they were both on atlantic records the both of their signature records were both on atlantic you know so uh they had a history and alan really was very active with daryl like daryl was doing solo records at this point in the early 90s so alan was working with him and he even did some shows with him so i met uh, Daryl a few times, probably, you know, probably starting around 93 or 94 something like that. And um, there would be times where we would play and, and Daryl would come, he would sit in, and he would see me in the band and see what I did, you know. And uh, after a few times, I remember him being in, uh, we were playing London, Average White Bands playing in London, and he came and sat in with us. But after the show, I think he was with his manager, he came up to me, and this is probably like, I want to say 97-ish, something like that. Yeah, 97, might be, maybe 98. And he came up to me after the show and he said, hey, you know, would you? Uh, I'd love to see you in my band, <laughs> meaning Hall and Oates. And uh, so that's really what happened. And he put the bug in my ear, but I wasn't ready to leave Average White Band at that point. I kind of wanted to see it through a few more years. So I ended up leaving Average White Band by my choice in like 2001. And, uh, you know, it was a great 13 years. I just wanted to experience some other stuff and really get back into my own music and my own career. So that's what I did. I got off the road with them, with full force into my own career. And then after about a year and a half, I got a call from T-Bone, T-Bone Walk. Even more, T-Bone, the great bass player yeah and I had met him obviously a few times was being because average white band would open up for Hall and Oates sometimes so I met T-Bone a few, few times and I loved him and just su- such an incredible musician um so he called me I remember it was on July it was on um January 1st and he said "L, it's Bone I'm sitting here with Daryl and we're we're trying to think of somebody that uh, might want to come out on the road and do Daryl's solo tour, like somebody that can maybe play some bass and maybe some keys, sing, maybe that, play some percussion. This is and when we got to call Elliot.
0: Sorry, <laughs> this is when Dreamtime came out.
2: Yeah, this is when I think Soul Alone came out. Maybe uh, whatever year that is, Soul Alone. So late late nineties, mid to late nineties, something like that. So, um,
0: but that's so a it, know, I, but so that first daryl's solo record is excellent
2: yeah yeah absolutely i think this was so alone i think it was what had cab driver on it and uh whatever else there was on it so i was like oh yeah you know i'd be interested in doing that it's it's like a 10-day tour you know a couple days rehearsal and um i didn't think any more of it other than that it would be fun just to get back out on the road and do something like that for a minute so I did do it and it, the tour went great. But at the end of the tour, Daryl looked at me and said, Hey, you want to be in the band, like the real band, you know? And I was like, Okay. But the position that was open that they needed to fill was the keyboard position.
1: You're a multi instrumentalist.
2: Yeah, because they had a, you know, they already had a guitar player. Daryl, of course, plays guitar and John plays guitar. So they didn't need a, another guitar player. So, um, so I was, you know, I was like, yeah, I've got to do this. How can you turn that, that kind of an offer down, you know? But the thing is, is was I was a bit hesitant because, although I played keyboards, I did never play keyboards on that level. I knew Bob Mayo. I don't know if you know the name Bob Mayo. Bob Mayo is the guy that plays on Frampton Comes Alive, and he was also in Hall and Oates for a few years. He is the consummate musician. Incredible, incredible keyboard player I was nowhere near that but are you are you intimidated doing this I was intimidated absolutely I was scared of the amount of work and the amount of uh growth I was going to have to go through in a very short time to learn their catalog to that level where I felt confident.
0: How did just, you How did you find the confidence to do it? Because that's a scary proposition. I mean, Sean and I are both uh, comics and yeah. we, we've, we've done big, you know, like sometimes when you get to open for a big artist and you're doing like a big venue, like you, you, before they're going to bring you out, you're like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, yeah. am, am I <laughs> right for this? And then you always got to give yourself a little bit of a mantra. They wouldn't ask yeah. you to do it if they didn't think you can do it. You know, yeah. How yeah. Did you, but, but now you're working I mean, like, man, you're working with one of the Mount Rushmore's of the Blue Eyed Soul movement. Yeah. OK. And yeah. he's asking you to play, a, you know, listen, keyboards is a big role in the band.
2: Exactly. Big role. Daryl wrote a lot of his music on keyboards and it's right. very keyboard driven. And there are a lot of them. And um, but it was really T-Bone that said L. You can do this. I know you can do it. I completely believe and trust that you're going to be amazing. I was like, wow, okay. And so I was like, I committed to it. And, you and know, I sure had you found about, the
0: confidence. Yeah.
2: And not not so I had so a about two and a half months to prepare so I had a little bit of time but still their catalog was big you know it was like learning 30 songs and again stuff that I had never played on keyboards to that level so I just I just uh I just went for it and um and it all worked out
0: <laughs> did you ever get yelled at
2: I never got yelled at <laughs> actually you know Daryl is can be sort of intimidating both of them because they're such great musicians they're amazing musicians Oates Oates is a great musician absolutely they hear harmony and they hear everything it's like Todd working with Todd Rundgren these guys have incredibly developed ears they can hear instantly if there's something wrong or missing so Daryl um you know uh, never ever said don't play this or do this a different way. He actually gave me complete freedom, which I wasn't necessarily expecting, but I think he liked my approach and just gave me the freedom to do approach it how I wanted. So um, it was a great situation. And, he, and and beyond that, you know it turned into a more interesting uh, situation because I, I did a lot of photography, still do some, but I was really into photography. And I was doing, um, uh, T-Bone saw some of my black and white photography and, and we were out on the road and uh, and Daryl said, hey, you know, I saw some of your, your photographs. He said, can you shoot us? Because we always need photographs. And um, and I said, sure. And so they they hired me as a photographer as well. <laughs> so I'm now playing and I'm playing arenas every night. And uh, in the first tour, which was really so special was... The first tour I ever did with Holland & Oates was with Michael McDonald and The Average White Band. The Average White Band were the openers. So I went from The Average White Band, and now they're opening up for who I'm working with. So it was kind of crazy, you
0: know. You, you know, you're making it very hard to like you. Um, because, <laughs> I mean, you're not only, I mean, you're, you're in these great bands, you're a great songwriter, you, you pick up instruments, but you also have a fucking eye for photography. <laughs> I mean, I mean, thing. I think God's done enough for you already. You know, maybe it's time to give some to to to, to me. Um, I, I think I think the comment I was going to ask you what makes uh, Daryl so special, but I think you kind of touched on it when you said he he kind he, he doesn't knock you down. He kind of builds you up and lets you make your your decisions. You know, you know, and and make your choices and give you the freedom to do that. I think the greats do that, whether it be in music or whether it be in film. I got a chance to work with Scorsese, and any decision you made, he made it seem like, hey, it's the great, it's the right decision to make. You felt very ease very relaxed, and again, you're working with a Mountain Rushmore type of a guy. I think that's what yep. the greats do. What's that? I think that's what the greats do. They give they yeah. give you that freedom. And let, and, and, yeah. whatever, and that sense that whatever choice you make, it's the right one. But let's try it a different way.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I'll say this, with, with Daryl and with Todd, they're both very similar. They come from a very sim- similar yes. place, literally, and musically. Um, you know, I, I had heard the same thing about both of them, that – You know, they may not praise you, but if they don't say anything, you're doing great. (laughs) You only got to worry if they if they say if they say something to you like, you know, do this differently or, you know, uh, but if they don't say anything, that that means you're doing great (laughs) being around his confidence uh, was very inspiring. You know, these are guys that like you said that they were top of the music business. They were hit makers and um to be in their presence and in their band they the could have whole the whole best whole musicians famous. they wanted
0: the rock whole famous do you have a favorite whole note song
2: um I have a few I mean I love she's gone because that probably Great song has, love yeah he has the most history for me you know I I that reminds me of uh washing dishes in a restaurant at 15 years old (laughs) you know that's what music does knowing I had to make money in order to buy equipment and and have this life that I was planning on having and um so yeah that song has the most history for me but I mean I love she's gone I love say it isn't so um Sarah smile of course no can do you know I'm not such a huge fan of some of the more poppy 80s stuff but there's so much great music what, like
0: there. adult education
2: no that's pretty cool but like kiss on my list or private eyes they're fun you know but i gravitate to the stuff that's a little funkier a little grittier
0: you know what i like i like more off of i think it was maybe the last uh album that they put out i love so close as a single. Oh yeah but, but, but which version do you like better because they, they released two versions we, we released a fast version and then a, a very slow version of it
2: oh the slow version for sure hmm. the slow version and that's the version we did
0: and he always does it every time i, I
2: loved i love playing that song great great song is very dramatic song you know it just really had some great musical moments in that song
0: and as you get older those lyrics really hit home
2: yeah absolutely yeah yeah
0: so you, you were again uh with Daryl, you were—I think on like just about every episode of Live from Daryl's House, uh, up in Pauling, um, uh, New York. Um, it's not his house; it's a club. Uh, I've—I performed there in April. Uh, okay. Yeah, they did. Uh, they, they do a comedy night once a month. like uh, mm-hmm. so I got—I got, I got to do it. Uh, the guy who uh, runs the soundboard, you know, is just tremendous. Uh, yeah. What was his name?
2: Pete Moshe. Pete, Pete,
0: Pete is Moshe. awesome. We yeah. we we're, tr- we're trying to work out time his schedule between our schedules very very uh hard, but we've yeah. been trying to get him on the show. Um that show started off, I remember, I think it's an internet show. And then yeah. I remember watching it on uh Access TV. So, a couple of questions. Who are your favorite guests? What were your favorite songs uh, on it?
2: Well, there's a there's a few. It's hard to pick out one. Um But I would say, you know, the stuff that's nearest to my heart, um, like Joe Walsh, Cheap Trick, Billy Gibbons, these are all people I grew up listening to. Todd Rundgren, of course. I would say those four were some of the most fun shows for me. So almost any of the music, Cheap Trick is probably one of the highlights, though, for me, because I really love their music so much.
0: Did Uh, I want you to want me?
2: yeah that's surrender you know <laughs> I play that in my own show to this day um so yeah there's there's a lot I know it's hard to pick out one favorite but I would say those four or five are uh right equal and on the top of the list but there were so many other artists too some newer artists younger artists you know that were great I loved working with train
1: um Gavin, a good episode. one of the most underrated bands in the last you know a bunch of years they, they're they a very very underrated band
2: yeah great band great band um there was a a great artist really early on this is when we were doing it at daryl's house uh uh, diane birch
0: and then kt tunstall of course Mm -hmm. that was was she she did she played something like on i think was the xylophone or something
2: xylophone exactly yeah yeah. that was great i know i know i cracked up when she pulled, pulled that out to do the uh the bell part in uh um out of touch (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, right. I mean, you what do. a great, yeah, what a great little touch on it. And I know, you know and, and that's what that was the beauty of that show was yeah. you're hearing these great songs, but you're hearing different arrangements on it. Um yeah. and then you would hear like different artists sing different uh parts on it. Now I mentioned on the air I loved when you guys were with um uh Fritz and the Tantrums and you oh, did yeah. okay and you did Money Grabber, and yeah. I love the the back and forth between Fitz and Daryl I thought Daryl sounded insanely good doing that music
2: yeah yeah he was in great shape in a lot of those episodes and you know he he really got it handed to him he likes being spontaneous he likes mixing it up because you 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 know you never know what you're going to get out of it so uh he really embraced that sort of um you know uh, the spontaneity of of that whole experience was as much fun as it looked.
0: It was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really was. Yeah, everyone's laughing and having a good. I don't, I don't laugh and have a good time all the time. Everyone's I, always, I
1: love shows like that. Like they even had, a, I think it's called Crossroads on CMT, where they do uh, country artists with kind of pop and rock, and they swap songs too. I think it's a great dynamic because you got to remember. A great song is going to be a great song, whether you do a pop version, a country version, yeah, a rock, anything like that. I, I just heard a great. Ver- I'm, I'm going to send it to you, Jeff. I forgot to. It was uh, "Times Like These" by the Foo Fighters. This country guy covered it, completely slowed it down, just acoustic. I could see that being the country song, and it just you know. It just proves that you know if you have a really well written song. Doesn't matter who's gonna do it, it's gonna come out great.
0: So yeah. you you worked with Todd, Todd Rudgren and mm-hmm. could you just remind me of something, Sean? Um Jim Steinman, who is probably in my top three all-time songwriters, loved them. He wrote, you know, the whole Meatloaf albums. Uh Todd produced them. He mm-hmm. was talking about the song Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. And mm-hmm. when he wrote that song, he wrote that song with as a country song in mind, and he pictured Johnny Cash uh singing it in a lower key.
2: Well. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: if, if, yeah. And and uh, if you listen to the beginning chords of that, the first, I think, three chords is yeah. the same beginning chords as uh, the Eagles, uh, bells will be ringing, you know, that's where that came from.
2: Okay. I'm, I'm, what a great I'm, band they were. Yeah. <laughs> Eagles.
0: I'm, yeah. I, I, I love it. Just saw them recently on that Farewell tour. Also, the one other show that I liked with um, Live from Daryl's House, I liked uh, the Tommy Shore episode.
2: Oh, great episode. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, what a great example of somebody that's really still on top of their game musically. He could still sing, hit the notes. And I mean, he, yeah, really impressive and and a great, sweet guy, too. Great player. He,
0: he seems it. I mean, yeah. he could still sing. Yeah. Another band I go see all the time. I think he's one of the most underrated singers. Uh, they're great. But the way you guys did Blue Collar Man, I mm-hmm. loved it. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. Um, yep. So was there anyone who wasn't cool to work with on the show? Can um, like, anyone take attitude not, or anything?
2: Not really. Nothing that I experienced. I'll, t- well, I'll tell you a little story, and it wasn't that. It was just unexpected. We work with um, um, Green Onions. <laughs> uh, Booker T. Booker T., thank you, uh, early on in the, in the show, and um you know normally a a typical day doing it would be that the band gets there we 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 run through we get our sound we maybe run through a song or two and uh then the guests come so booker t came and he's like uh, he's working out his b3 because they rented him a b3 and he's getting that prepared and he's going through it and you know and I, i'm right next to him so i just wanted to go over and introduce myself and just tell him how honored i am to be playing with him and thank him for coming you know but he had a vibe and it was like like oh i don't want to talk like you know kind of off-putting and so i kind of like backed away and didn't approach because i was just reading this vibe that he was like he didn't want to engage in, with anybody at this point so um So we get into doing the music and, you know, he's loosening up and he's opening up a little bit, but he was kind of quiet and very reserved. And I wasn't sure if he was mad about something or something, something was going on, Uh, but we get through the day and uh, the musically, it it got better and better and better. It was all good. And then we do this dinner segment, this food segment afterwards. And um, we're sitting there and at some point it gets real quiet and Booker says, you know this is one of the best days I've ever had (laughs) I just thought wow (laughs) I couldn't read that I thought you know he was not having a good day and and here he said I'm this is one of the best days I've ever had so it may have
0: been overwhelming for him too
2: yeah yeah maybe well I do think a lot of people even really seasoned people like CeeLo Green came in and that was a uh, great episode too and you think Wow, CeeLo Green he's on T was on TV every week and larger than life personality and he came in he was really shy or he was really maybe somewhat intimidated i don't know
0: Um, first of all do you realize who you are and what the band you were part of i mean you anyone who's in music realize that group of musicians was really one of the most respected group of musicians around so for an artist to come into your environment yeah I mean, right it has to be I mean you're looking at them oh man CeeLo's coming in here but he's going yeah. in it's like man I can't look like a, like a fraud in front of these people these guys are right. good they're legit I,
2: well I there's there's a lot of validity in what, in what you just said I, it's hard for me because we're still I'm still like impressed with everybody that's walking through that door because you're a fan and, and a fan of some of them exactly so uh, but i do realize and you know uh, that the band has a reputation you know of being a good band and we're we're you know we've got great chemistry and we get the job done and we produce good music and so you know and then of course these artists are coming in singing alongside daryl so i think that might be intimidating too so you know not everybody is super comfortable but i think by the time they leave there if they were uncomfortable when they came in they're very comfortable Hence, very shortly after,
0: hence Booker T's comments
2: yeah exactly right, right but one I would say one of the most and it was uh, not with me at all but it was a little bit tense with uh, Kenny Loggins and Daryl um they're both
1: great songwriters.
2: they're mo- uh, both amazing uh strong and uh um, in some ways uh in different ways but uh there was a point where you know kenny wanted to have daryl sing a harmony in a song the way it is the way it's on record and daryl was sort of improvising and doing his own interpretation of this and um i i know it was edited out but at some point uh you know kenny said hey daryl the harmony actually goes like this <laughs> and i could tell we could tell that leading up to this moment, there was a little bit of little bit of friction going on. And uh and at some point he said that and 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 Daryl said, he said, Kenny, we're in Daryl's house. <laughs> <We're> just, <laughs> this is the way we do it. You know?
0: Message loud and clear. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. From then on, the air was clear. You know, it's like, okay, just forget about <laughs> any preconceived way of doing this music, you know, but to, uh, you know, in his defense that Kenny is an amazing musician and he just wanted it done well, where it sounded right and sounded like what's in his head and what he usually gets. But he was in a an environment where it's going to be interpreted differently. The king of soundtracks. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was working with uh, Butch Walker on that uh, on the show.
2: Oh, I liked him a lot. I like Butch Walker a lot. I thought he was great. He was a little quiet, um, personality-wise, but boy, I respect what he does. Great talent, great producer.
1: An amazing songwriter. Jeff, he was yeah. uh, he was in a band called The Marvelous Three like, back in the very yeah. late 90s, early 2000s, and then he went solo and put out some amazing, amazing solo work, and then he just put out uh, a new Marvelous Three record 23 years later, and they put this song out. It's called uh, My Old School Metal Heart. Well, wow. I played it one time. It was one of those songs when you hear it the first time, and you go, "Shit, I'm going to be here 15 more minutes because I'm playing." it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it it's, it's a perfectly written pop song. It became my my favorite song of the year. So oh, wow! I've, I've always heard like um, uh, like mixed things about him. How he's kind of like a little bit of off putting and uh, a little kind of a little bit of a dick, but mm-hmm. play, his musically, he's just he's an absolute genius
0: yeah absolutely absolutely Elliot tell us about your solo career what's going on Uh, you have a new album out and I also want to know what songs are you doing in your live set because you have a ton of stuff to be pulling from
2: yeah I mean you know my my solo career is uh, is been happening for a long time you know uh unbeknownst to some some people out there you know i i've been keeping this thing alive alongside even i really started my solo career for real when i was still an average white band i put out my first cd in like 1999 and um you know and then put out a a record almost every year or two since then uh a lot of EPs and you know And so I was literally doing my own shows when I was in Hall and Oates, I would do my own shows alongside them. It was, it was typical for me to, you know, to do on a night off on a travel night uh, to do my own show. I'd book stuff ahead and to keep this thing going and keep it alive because it's really what I'm in it for is, you know, again, it goes back to being a songwriter and having the music be sort of the central point, not necessarily being a musician and just playing. For me, it's the song. It's about the art and creating the stuff. So, um, so yeah, I made the decision after, you know, 20 years of being with, with Hall and Oates. Uh, Now, Hall and Oates from what I understand or what I see aren't really working together anymore
0: so and there's know, no animosity there it's just you know I don't
2: know I don't think so I think they're just they're just going into their separate lives and separate world you know uh I was with them for some of the best times like I can't I'm so thankful the experiences I had were amazing but you know um you know, last year was just Daryl Solo with Todd in support so we you know I did that whole year with him um there were no show
0: over at the Walmart
2: yeah I think so yeah anything last year I was I was there um and it was so great to work with Todd and Daryl every night you know but I had to like say do how much more time do I want to put in this before I really give my own career a hundred percent um so I made that decision early this year and uh I couldn't be happier so, you know, my focus is completely in 100% and I don't have to juggle schedules and stuff, which was kind of challenging, to be honest, um, you know, to book as an artist, you really need to book ahead, uh, you know, three, four, five, six months, even if a year to get the right shows. Um, and I wasn't able to do that. It was very challenging logistically with scheduling with the two things. So now I'm free to kind of just be 100% artist. And uh, yeah, I have a fairly new record. Um, I put out a record earlier this year, maybe late last year, but it's actually going to, was never really officially released, but it's going to be, it's going to be released uh, in the next couple of months. I'm doing a deal with sort of a a great label that have a production company, they comprise a record company, a production company called uh, Factory Underground. And uh, they've done great with some artists, so I'm excited about that. And they're talking about maybe having me on a podcast because of all my experience with Daryl Show, and so we're looking at a lot of different possibilities. So I'm having a great time. I'm really focused on the show that I've been doing now for about a year and a half, which is a live looping show. Um, so you know, up until about explain a, loop- a,
0: explain a live looping show.
2: So so what it is is is. Katie Tunstall really helped put the looping thing on the map so you use these pedals that basically are recording you um uh, you know if you play a, a passage of a guitar or a vocal or anything it's recording the guy
0: pedal into the pedal.
2: exactly um so there's some artists that really do great with this and it's always been fascinating oh, to me yeah and um uh and people always said you yeah, man you should try looping some time you'd be perfect for it so it's, it had been in my mind for a while and you know I wanted to move away from using any backing tracks because I really wanted to be completely free uh to create on the spot so it took a while so what I'm doing now is a, a sort of a multi-instrumental show uh I'm literally playing drums on on on, on drum pads with there's my no own...
0: backing and bend. you're the band
2: yeah, completely. No, there's right. nothing pre-recorded at all. Uh, I'm playing the drum parts live. I'm playing the bass parts live. I'm playing the guitar. I'm singing, creating three-part harmony. It sounds like a full band. And it's taken me a while to get it to, to where it sounds now, but it's it's really coming along. I'm really happy with it. And it's very spontaneous. It's the closest thing to playing with a band because I'm creating stuff that's different almost every night. And then I'm responding to that. So it's, it's really cool and I can change stuff on the spot. Um, I can lengthen a song, I can shorten it. I can morph it into another song. I can read the audience and feel what where they wanna go with something and do it on the spot. Uh, it takes a while because it's a lot of mental gymnastics to keep track of where everything is. And you really have to know your arrangements because it's all performance based, you know? So, but it's a challenge, but I, I'm, I'm really loving it. And what so- I'm sorry what songs are you doing so i'm doing a lot of my own songs but i do a lot of stuff um uh, from my history from you know i, I do a hall and Oates song or a couple of hall and Oates songs almost every cover song that i play that i didn't write are songs that i've played with those artists right i'm playing hall and Oates, i'm playing cheap trick and zz top and uh sometimes a train song and uh joe walsh uh, but I have a couple of old favorites, too. I adopted this one song that I love. I actually put it on this new re-released version of my record. It's an old Gary Wright song, who wrote, who wrote Dreamweaver, of Dream course. Weaver, yeah. Yeah, but I'm doing this song called Love is Alive. It's one of my favorite all-time songs. So there's a couple of other songs there I didn't play. Uh, I'm going to probably put in simply the best because I actually played on that record <laughs> into my show. So there's, you know, when people come to see me, they're going to get some of my own material, but they're going to get a lot of stuff that they're familiar with,
0: you know. No so. song I can see you doing. What's that? Great song. It's Year of the Cat. Has one of the greatest Oops. piano intros of a song.
1: Al Stewart, right? Yes. Yeah.
0: You know the That's story cool with Al. Oh, it's a great song. If you really yeah. go back and give it a good listen. He was he when he was in England and mm-hmm. when Paul Simon was first coming up, they were roommates together. And Al mm-hmm. and Al Stewart was a little bit older than I think Paul Simon or or, or, okay. they, were contem- or they were contemporaries. Something yeah. like that. But he was a little ahead of Paul Simon when it came to writing songs, and Paul, he had a big effect on the way Paul Simon wrote.
2: Wow, I didn't I mean, know
0: that. Yeah, see, Al Stewart, I mean, I think Yeah, the cat comes out in like the late seventies, mm. but I mean, he had been toiling in the in the uh, in the folk scene of uh, London for years in the sixties. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, people think like like these guys have these overnight success. Like all of a sudden, they decide to pick up a guitar, and all of a sudden, yeah. hey, we just click. I made, made this amazing song. It, this is like 20 years in the making
2: yeah it usually is it you it usually is you know there's some exceptions i mean you look at kiss you know they they started they formed in seventy three and by seventy five they were playing arenas. But yeah, usually it's a long slow burn to yeah. get to that
1: place. They also had
0: to drive, and they they, they were, again, you know, guys like Al Stewart and and yourself, and you know, they just consummate musicians and agonize over everything. And sometimes, like you, you can't be so much in your head. You got to have some cock and balls, is what I always say.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um,
0: So the name of this show is called Who's Your Band? And so we just got two more questions before we let you go. Um, So who is your band? Who's your favorite band?
2: My favorite band? Favorite
0: band, artist. Either either favorite band or artist. artist. Like for me, I probably would have to say right now, it's probably Maiden or Rush. Okay, it depends. It depends on what what the way the wind blows that day. I have so many bands that I love, or I can just get it all. But who, who's your favorite band?
2: Hmm. You know, that's a real interesting question. It's such a simple question. It sh- it should be such a simple answer, but I don't know if, the, if I have one favorite. Um, yeah, Cheap Trick is up there, but then Jeff Beck is up there, and Todd Rundgren is up there uh zeppelin is up there you know they're all they're all in that same uh a place that i i I hold dearly this music that meant so much to me you know um i don't know if i have one favorite i don't know it's it's i should be able to answer that (laughs) i don't know again
0: again for me like i go down these rabbit holes of listening to zeppelin and then i'll and then i'll just get stuck on babe, I'm gonna leave you, and I got to listen to it about four million times, and then yeah. I got to listen to Great White do it, and go, oh my god, they they sound just like Zeppelin. This is maybe the best cover I've ever heard. And then a day later, I could be listening to a band like oh, they a band a group a, or duo like Erasure. And just oh, yeah, yeah. and just listening to how beautiful uh, Andy Bell's voice is, and and Vince yeah. Clarke's uh, you know synthesizer and, and yeah. you know, work, and it's just like I, mean, I, I love this now. And then I'll go, and I'll go. You know what? I want to get a little darker and get into Depeche Mode. And and then yep. flip the script, and I'm listening exactly. to George, St- and I'm listening to George Strait. Yeah, okay? yeah, Be- this, because this because I heard a country it. song, so there's yeah. The I mean, there's, but there's
2: think- there's music for every mood and Mm -hmm. every sort of like memory um you know songs music is so powerful i wrote a song about that thing it's called soundtrack it's how the power of music like you can hear a song that you haven't heard for a long time maybe come on the radio and it literally transports you back to the time you heard that song It, it resurfaces these memories and these sensations and feelings and that's such a powerful thing and so much music does that for us absolutely and, uh, and I, think that, I can I think... tell you one one of my favorite bands this is th- this band is way 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 up on the list for me and I think they were a perfect band they didn't last for very long but the police to me were like literally a great. perfect band. they you all know? hated
0: each other but they were great
2: exactly but you know I mean, what a combination of musicians and what a unique sound they they developed.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, you know, such such a dynamic band, of course, but yeah, I mean, just a perfect band. Um, they almost couldn't stay together that long because of their personalities Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> so, I gotta ask you something, though, yeah. because you're a rock head. So, Damn. okay, I don't know your age, but I'm guessing we're,
0: we're in the same ballpark. We're in the same general That's area.
2: Right. You remember, a, we're a both band? twenty.
0: We're twenty-seven. Uh, what's that? We're both twenty-seven.
2: We're both twenty-seven. Is go, that go? Go right? with <laughs> it, Elliot. <laughs> you remember a band called Angel?
0: Of course, mm-hmm. Punky Meadows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Boy, I loved Angel. There was another example of a super, super theatrical, you know, uh, glam what, band. What,
0: wasn't you free in that band?
2: Greg Jafria yeah Yeah. yeah. they were like they were like rock gods to me yeah I discovered them I think in 76 you know obviously they're in with the same uh record company as kiss as Casablanca and I think a friend of mine turned me on to them and I was like wow this is really wild this whole white thing and the concept and the visuals and then I went to see them and they were like rock gods to me and now so many years later I'm friends with almost all of them not punky But, you know, Frank D'Amino and the original bass player, I got to know very well before he passed away. Uh, he literally spent like a week in my apartment, you know, um, Felix Robinson, the second bass player. Um, so it's just amazing. These guys that were just like, I held so high, you know, now I'm friends with and, you know, and Todd Rundgren, it's 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 pretty crazy.
0: Love Todd Rundgren. I, you know, growing up, I never appreciate him. And as I got older, I mean, you just yeah. realize just what this guy means to 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 music over like probably spanning five decades now
2: five decades he is and i wouldn't use this uh term lightly about any musician but he really is a musical genius no doubt about i mean
0: between being a songwriter singer and probably producer you know is is, is just insane um sean ask it End this with, with, with the famous Sean question that we ask our favorite
1: guests. (laughs) So you're in a band, right? You can play whatever, you can play whatever instrument you want. Yeah. Now you're going to build your own band with the greatest of all time. What's the band and what, what are you playing it?
2: Ooh, good question. It would part probably be guitar. And I would probably have, it would be a minimal band because I'm a real minimalist. I do a solo show now so it would probably be a three-piece and everybody would sing um and I would probably play guitar and sing but I I would have one stipulation I need to play drums at some point in the show (laughs) I just play with with some friends uh, a great funk band uh, at at a really nice theater local here and i got to sit in on drums for a song and it just reminds me how much i love playing drums <laughs> uh who would the musicians be yeah wait that's a good question uh because there's a lot to choose from um well i have to say one of the best drummers i've ever worked with is brian dunn from the band from Life from daryl's house uh he might be my choice for drums i'm not sure about the bass player and singer but he he would be the 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 number
0: one choice, bass player. Who was if we got to give him a bass player, who would fit in this band? I know Timothy B. Schmidt because he could sing the highs.
2: Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know how active active he is right now. Well, I guess he's still out with the, he's out with the Eagles, right?
0: Oh yeah, he's touring. Yeah. New- before I let you go, also, I mean I've just become obsessed with this band. Again, growing up, I wasn't a fan, but lately, yeah. man, I, I just can't listen to them enough. I love Steely Dan.
2: Oh, Steely Dan. Come on, man. That's incredible music.
0: I I, I don't know how many times I've played King Sha- Kid Charlemagne uh, in the last month. hmm Amazing
2: stuff. Amazing stuff. That's that's really I you know hard to describe their music because it has some jazz influence. Um, it time. had a lot of musical influences, but it's very intelligent music. It's very mature music.
0: <laughs> right. I, I, I kind of feel it's more than music. It's a vibe. Yeah. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. So where could people find you? How could they contact you? How should they follow you? What, what can they do to support uh, Elliot Lewis?
1: Oh,
2: easy. I mean, you know, obviously I have a website, elliotlewis.com. Um, and I'm on all the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all the, all the ones that matter, I guess, okay. And <laughs> any, you, show,
0: any shows coming up. I know you did the show. Saturday. I, think
2: I have, I have one, maybe two more shows, but I have a show coming up, uh, and two weeks from, uh, in two weeks from now, uh, on Saturday, I want to say it's in Connecticut, uh, two Saturdays from now um really cool venue actually this venue is has a similar vibe to Daryl's Club um and so that is coming up and then I'm going to probably do with this record release this record company I'm going to be working with or I am working with we're going to do a showcase sort of a record release show and that's going to be in Norwalk Connecticut and uh it'll be sort of an industry thing but I think it'll be part open to the public so uh, but that's something I'll announce on my social media pretty soon when we gonna, have a deal with that and they're
0: going to be up at uh Donald's place anytime soon
2: yeah probably next year probably next year I played that room a lot I haven't this is the first year I haven't played it and since it opened I played that room multiple times I think more than any other artist has like into the 20s you know uh so probably next year but and I'm going to be really, because I'm able to do this now and really book ahead and plan things out, I'm going to be making the rounds much more than I normally would and trying to get into a lot of different states that I haven't hit yet. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it.
0: We're going to be following you and we're going to be pushing uh, your solo stuff and we're going to be pushing uh, dates that are, I mean, I mean, this goes out everywhere. So we'll be pushing awesome. dates and anything we can do to to help promoting and, and get people to, to get into it. Elliot Lewis, man, I mean, guys got a history that's like, that's really second to nobody. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. My my pleasure, man. Great talking to you guys. Really great. And guys keep listening, keep subscribing and keep following us. All right. We'll see you next time. Take care, Elliot. Take care, everybody.
2: Thank you. Thanks guys.
0: Bye-bye.